0: they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Thanks, John. And happy
1: birthday, Town Church Vista. Because here we are, three years old. Do you remember last year, if you were around, we had cake and balloons. This year, we've got screens and slippers. And we'll celebrate truly uh, when we can gather together. Uh, We will. We definitely will. Uh, However, unlike normal birthdays, when we celebrate the girl or or the boy, we call them the birthday girl or birthday boy, In fact, I knew it was, um, I just heard earlier on in December, it was Vinny's 30th. Big birthday, he kept that quiet. And of course, we would raise a glass to Vinny as he turned 30 in September. But this isn't about the birthday church. It's not about raise a glass to Town Church Vista for making it this far. Haven't we done well? On one hand, you perhaps think, well, we've done okay. We've hung out. um, We're there together. Uh, we've grown in numbers, of course. But we used the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 115 as we started out on this new venture three years ago. I wonder if you remember it, if you were there, Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of
2: your love and faithfulness. You see, That's the prayer. That's the
1: prayer three years on because it so often is about us. It's so often about me. And through this four-week preaching series on what we deeply value, hopefully our eyes will be taken off ourselves and we will fix our eyes on God, on heavenly things. We're going to be doing a series on prayer. You heard us talking about that just before talking to God, that we would see our utter dependence on God so that we throw our weight on him for all things. And we'll use the structure of the Lord's Prayer as the model to use. See, it's not about us. It's not about me because I'm not my own. And left to my own devices, I dread to think where I'd be without Jesus. If you're trusting in Jesus tonight, have a moment to think where life could be over the last five years, 10 years, 20, 30 years. If Jesus were not your king, if Jesus were not your savior, a couple of seconds in and you despair, you dread the thought, don't you? See, as the the old hymn says, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee, oh, bless me now, my saviour, I come to thee. And here's our opportunity over four weeks, a deep dive into prayer. And here's our prayer as elders and as town church. As we look into the Lord's prayer, we're going to pray for two things, two specific things. That God would give us a greater passion and a greater delight to speak to him in prayer. And then that God would teach us through his word to be devoted to praying the way that Jesus taught. Those two things, a greater passion and a delight to speak to him. And then that God would teach us through his
2: word to be devoted. Passion, delight, devotion as a church together. On two
1: occasions, Jesus sits with his disciples and teaches them this simple structure of praying. Luke 11, as Jesus was praying, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And then in Matthew 6, as John's read, in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus revolutionary speaks about what a life of following Jesus looks like, Jesus says prayer looks like this. And you heard John read, didn't you? It's against the culture and backdrop of what prayer had become. 6 verse 5, we we, we see this as a show, a hypocritical display of human righteousness. That's the context that Jesus was praying into. So he's saying to his disciples, don't be like those who do it to impress others for selfish gain. Don't spout off in public places just so you'll be seen, noticed, thought highly of. Don't babble on using flowery language to win the approval of God. And of course, this might be an issue for us in the way that we pray with others. We might be tempted to impress others, tempted to think that our prayers will win the approval of God, will win us extra credit with him. We're tempted all the time to think that. But what's our cultural backdrop of what prayer has become? Isn't it more that prayer's an afterthought? A a a ritual muttering around the meal table? A guilt fueled activity that drives a dry legalistic faith? And of course, I say cultural backdrop, but You'll have to nuance it for yourself.
2: How do you approach the subject, subject of prayer? For it is a battleground. Christian writer Derek Prime wrote these words.
1: Read it through with me because there's a lot of text on the screen. I apologize uh, for this slide, but read it through with me. Many battles in our Christian life revolve around giving prayer its rightful place and knowing how best to use our privilege. Satan tries to keep us from prayer for he knows that time spent in close prayer fellowship with God on just one day can frustrate the evil plans he has been working at for a long time. He is skillful and well-practice in bringing mind duties which demand our immediate attention so as to turn us away from prayer. Or if we do pray, he endeavours to make us pray without purpose or in a mechanical and careless manner. The Christian life, and especially in this prayer life, it's a battleground. It's a battleground, but we caught essence of it there. It's an essential part of the privileges of
2: the Christian life. The devil hates it when we pray, for he knows the power that lies within. How do you approach prayer? You'll have heard
1: famous lines uh, over the years, I- I'm certain. Or if you're a new Christian, you'll be hearing uh, some of these phrases that prayer is our breath, breath as a Christian, that prayer is our spiritual lifeline to God, that prayer is the highest exercise of our souls,
2: that prayer is an expression of our living relationship with God our Father. And prayer is an area in which we always have things to learn. Years and years of words of
1: similar ilk that that stress upon us the importance of prayer.
2: And of course we would all want to say, yes, right. Yes, no doubt. But we need to go to the master to learn how to pray. And so it's with
1: bended knee that I've come in preparation for this and the series is saying, teach us to pray, Lord. As myself and the other elders come to try and open the Bible and say, look at the model of the Lord Jesus, not look and listen at, and to our words as we're the masters of prayer life. Certainly not. It's our job just to hold out the word of life and say, look at the model of Jesus. We all need to learn. Can we come with with, with knees bent? before the Father and say, Lord, give us a greater passion
2: and devotion for you through this privilege of prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. That would be a great prayer, to pray in the month
1: of January. The first thing on our lips in the morning, Lord, teach me to pray. The last words on my lips before I
2: Rest my weary head on the pillow, which is so often the case these days. Lord, teach me to pray. And let's take a little bird's eye
1: view of the Lord's Prayer as we know it. Look, the address is to God, our Father, and that's how we start. That's how we start. That's how Jesus models it. And then three God-centered petitions or appeals, as they're known. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. And then there's three man-centered petitions, but but all in the light of the first three petitions, asking God to meet personal needs in order that we might then bring glory to him and uphold his rightful place. Give us our daily bread, forgive forgive our debts, and lead us not into temptation. So we have six petitions, six appeals to God, Three focused on God himself, three focused on us, and the address is to God our Father. And let's try and work these, a few things through in these first lines uh, as three points, hopefully, just help us get a bearing on these words. This is all we're going to do is the first two lines of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So here's the first question, and there will be three questions to frame this. Whom? do we pray to? If we were asking Jesus, well, help us, Lord. Teach us to pray. Model it to us. Here's our
2: first question. Lord Jesus, whom do we pray to? And here's his answer. Pray this. Our Father in heaven. And it is a startling
1: start. It's full of meaning for the time Jesus taught it to
2: his disciples. God was never addressed as Father for the Jewish man. We're to see the enormity, we're to see the change, the shift.
1: When you pray, says Jesus, yes, you pray to the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, those terms will be ever so familiar. Yes, you pray to the God who has promised a place and a people for himself, but now when you
2: pray, Jesus teaches, pray to your Father. Pray to your Father. It's extraordinary for the disciples listening at that
1: time. And so it begs the next question. Well, on what grounds do we pray? If the first question is who do we pray to? On what grounds do we pray? The startling start for the disciples and those listening in. Our Father. You see, Jesus prayed to God as Father. We have him recorded in John 17 six times. He prays to God as his Father, and that fits. So on what grounds do we pray? Is it as we recognize that God is the Father creator who has made us, that we are able to come on these terms? No, it's not. It's not about the fatherly creator God that he is, that he's a father of time, of all things. You see, not all men are God's children by nature. Jesus has already called people, labeled them children of darkness, enemies before God. It's not on the basis of God the father of creation. It's on the grounds of
2: adoption alone that Jesus can urge the disciples to pray, our Father.
1: I think this means three things, many more, but three things that we're going to pull out. On what grounds do we pray? We pray on these grounds that I'm his child, that you're his child. Ephesians 1 verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. I'm his child. It's on that ground that I'm able to pray our father. It's all about adoption. i got friends in Oxford who for a good few years have gone through the process,
2: the legal process for adoption, the battle, the red tape, the bureaucracy, and now, finally, he is ours, they said recently. He's ours. And so this
1: word adoption, this term adoption, it's a wonderful legal term. And that's the basis that we call God our father, because we're his adopted children. I am his. He is mine because a legal requirement has been met. And he has brought me as an adopted child into his family. On what grounds can we start this prayer by calling him our father? I'm his child. Secondly, I'm his heir. Look at Romans 8 verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. See, adoption in the ancient world was for the sole purpose of handing on your estate, of securing an heir if you did not have a blood child. And you see here, Paul, in the book of Romans, is saying we're heirs of God's estate. We're the receivers of all that he
2: has got. He has lavished all that is his on us. He's given us the keys to the estate. We
1: get a picture of this when we pray those simple words, our father. And Paul helps us see that we're co-heirs with Jesus. And to get this is enormous. We are loved no less, and we are given no less than the one on whom the Father calls his beloved Son. The one whom he has spent eternity with, whom he has loved so dearly before the created world, we are loved no less.
2: We are given no less than him. Brennan Manning tells a story of an Irish priest
1: walking around his parish and he sees a peasant by the roadside praying. And impressed, the priest comments to the peasant, you must be very close to God. And the peasant looks up for for a moment from his prayers
2: and he says, yes, he's very fond of me. See, the peasants got the right view of the heavenly
1: father. You and I share in the love and the rich blessings that the father gives to his beloved son. I'm richer than a billionaire. My family status is greater than that of a royal. Oh, how
2: deeply you are loved, that you can call God your father. And Jesus says, now speak to him, express your gratitude. And if our hearts are not filled with gratitude,
1: then get stuck into this model of Jesus and pray until your heart overflows. Your father, God, who lives in heaven, Our Father in heaven. Why does Jesus include the place of the Father? Well, it's not so much a place, but a plane. It's about a different status. It's a little bit like Tottenham Hotspur as they face lowly Marine FC this afternoon
2: in the FA Cup. On a different level. They're playing on different planes. Our Father speaks
1: the words, our Father. It speaks of the wonderful depths of relationship and love. In heaven, it sets our Father apart as the eternal, almighty, all-powerful, unrivaled, unchanging God who is different. And this could be really crucial for you. He's different to all our subjective understandings of earthly fathers. You might have a really positive experience of a a father, an earthly father, who's shown you love and kindness,
2: who's cared for you as a young child up to now. And Jesus is saying, as you pray, our father, that's a fractional experience of your father in heaven. And yet you might have a negative experience of a father. So many different levels of that, of course, there is. But now you're able to
1: say, as Jesus does, here is your heavenly father. He's different in every way to your negative experience of your earthly father. The absolute and categorical opposite from what you've experienced
2: negatively from an earthly father.
1: And if I remember this, you see, my prayers, they cannot be strained. My prayers, they cannot be boring. My prayers cannot be dull. But I forget who I talk to. See, this will hopefully increase our sense of wonder, increase our sense of joy, increase the sense of privilege. I speak to my father.
2: She's my father. I'm his adopted son. And he lives in heaven. And another friend, another couple who adopted a boy. And for months, the
1: boy used to call his adopted father as Sir.
2: He used to call him Sir as a sign of deep respect. And one day, the word Sir changed to father.
1: And my friend said that was a moment to behold. He'll never forget when his adopted son
2: started calling him Father. Will you call your heavenly Father by his rightful name? For he is yours. He's your heavenly Father. And look, we're
1: his children. Do you get this on what grounds? I'm his child, I'm his heir, but we're his children. He's not just my father, he's our father. He's not just your father, he's our father. Have you noticed that? He is shared. He is as much your father as he is my father. And Jesus teaches us to be together, to be united as we pray. Look theoretically in my thinking that I'm not praying alone to God alone it's not me alone to God alone theoretically I must understand that it's my brothers and sisters as we pray to God yes of course I can be on my own but I'm not alone when I pray and I'm not praying to the God my father alone he's not just my father he's our father and practically, this is displayed as well as we gather together as church, pizza and prayer, Friday morning. It brings joy, unity, fuels care, consideration for brothers and sisters in Christ. And perhaps that's my greatest lesson in the last three years, as I understand that the that, that church, do you know what church is not designed for me? This is my greatest lesson, I think, as a leader of town church, Town Church is not there to fit my desires and needs. It's a place where God's children, those who call him Father, are found as one. It mirrors the attitude of the Lord Jesus who came to serve and not to be served. Church is the place as God's family that we serve together. We serve each other small groups, a place for us to care and serve for others, pizza, prayer, Friday morning, Sunday Zooms, all places for me to think about how I serve others by my presence, just by being here. How might I be an encouragement to my church
2: family? You see, when I do that, I am deeply and richly encouraged. Deeply and richly encouraged as I do that for others. Then I get So much benefit from doing that.
1: Okay, thirdly, what do we pray? Who do we pray to? On what grounds do we pray? And what do we pray? And here's the first petition. Hallowed be your name, really quickly. It's centred around God. For left to myself, my first thought is always me. Hallowed, it means known, acknowledged. Exalted as holy. Holy in the Bible means set apart, different, utterly righteous. Lord, may your name be holy, set apart, different. The petition asks that the praise and honour of our Father God in heaven and only, to, should, and only to him should be the result of everything. Glory to God alone. Another writer, Packer, says these words, really helpful. He said, hallowing God's name requires praise for the goodness and greatness of his redemptive work with his dazzling blend of wisdom, love, justice, power, and faithfulness. His name, God's name, Jehovah Jireh, the great provider, Yahweh, the one who receives his people, the ones who rescues his people, Sorry. This is the name of God. Hallowed be your name, set
2: apart from all others. All about redemption. The name that is set apart, the name that rescues, the name that renews
1: our hearts, the name that has freed us from the bondage of sin, the name that gives the gift of the spirit, enables us to live a life that pleases him, that glorifies him. That's his name, Yahweh, the great rescuing God. See, prayer isn't duty. It's not religious activity. It's not piety or claustrophobic control. Here lies joy unadulterated when I understand who my heavenly father is and I raise his name up above every other name. I understand who he is and what he's done. And the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Do you doubt it? Do you doubt that prayer can be such a privilege? Well, come and try it this January. Taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Set out to make prayer a new priori- priority, both for you individually and collectively as a church. You know the devil's role. It's to stop you depending in God, because He knows how very special that relationship is and the benefits we receive when we do. You
2: know the devil's prowling around. It's a real battleground. But let's go and be the church that we want to be
1: let's finish uh, with our purpose statement we wrote this uh, together 3 years ago we brought it to the church we wrestled it through here's the church we want to be a people who have been and are being transformed by the good news of jesus who seek to live for jesus and make jesus known to others in and around bista how are we going to do that through using this privilege of prayer depend on god for all things We're going to take a moment. Let's go for a minute before we sing the next song, Be Thou My Vision. And we're going to make that our prayer as well. But before we do, let's leave uh, that purpose statement up. And here's your question. How are you going to play your part in being part of this church that seeks to live
2: out the purpose statement of Town Church? Let's go for a minute, thinking that through. great let's sing together as we make this song our prayer as a church be thou my vision It is Let me pray uh, through what we've heard this evening.
3: Father, we confess as we come to pray to you that so easily our eyes are on ourselves and our own circumstances. Father, please, would you help us to pray with eyes that are lifted off ourselves and that are on to heavenly things? Father, please would you cause us to throw our weight on you. Father, please give us a greater passion and delight to speak to you.
2: Father, please teach us through your word to be devoted to prayer.
3: Father, we're sorry that So quickly, prayer becomes about legalism and duty. We're so sorry that we pray without purpose, that we forget who we're talking to. We're sorry that our prayers become strained and awkward. We're sorry that we forget to pray. We're sorry that we avoid praying. Father, please help us to pray to you, our Father. Help us to have great joy in coming to you as we remember who you are. Father, please help us to address you on the grounds of adoption. Father, we thank you so much that we can call you Father because Jesus has met the legal requirement. Father, please help us to recognise joyfully that we are heirs of your estate. Father, please would we come before you because together we're your children. Lord, please, would those truths shape the way we come to you? Would that stop us seeing prayer as a dutiful thing?
2: Lord, please help us to pray, Lord, hallowed.